This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 13 years. Today's episode brings you Profiles in Excellence. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon. Welcome to this special Profiles in Excellence show. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will be discussing IT success stories at numerous government agencies and hear from the key leaders that are making these successes happen. With me on today's show are Margie Graves, U.S. Federal Deputy Chief Information Officer, Office of Management and Budget, Stephen Rice, Deputy Chief Information Officer, Department of Homeland Security, Joe Klimovich, Chief Information Officer, Department of Justice, Dave Bennett, Chief Information Officer, Defense Information Systems Agency, and Dave Shive, Chief Information Officer, General Services Administration. We also have Craig Mueller, VP of Federal at FireEye, Bob Osborne, Chief Technology Officer, ServiceNow, Felipe Fernandez, Director of Systems Engineering, Fortinet Federal, and Kevin Orr, VP of Federal BMC Software. Well, who would have thought a year and change ago we'd be sitting here at this table and uh, knowing that we now have a seat at the table, right, as a CIO community, and we have uh, access and authority into the budget, go, no, go. Uh, we have access to funds, right? We can borrow funds. We can build an instrument and uh, and uh, create some funds for our transformation journey. We've got a common lexicon uh, that's uh, based on the private sector. So uh, when Margie says we, we need to understand what an apple is, you don't say a pear and you don't say an orange, et cetera. We've got expanded hiring authorities that allow us to bring in the right kind of talent at the right time, and that's beyond the security paradigm. Uh, and most of all, well, we're also participating in, uh, in the industry conferences, right? I see a lot of folks out there not just participating, a couple of people, they're coming in force, they're actually uh, participating, they're actually presenting on these panels. And that's a recognition that the private sector and the public sector is coming a lot closer together in regards to the technology. And most importantly, a recognition codified through EAs and or EOs and the President's Management Agenda and recognized by the Hill and the White House and the CIO community at large, that look, the only way we're going to deliver on this promise to the community, promise to the citizens, is to modernize in a contemporary way and make sure that we do that both securely and efficiently. And, uh, and we've got to do that through modernizing, uh, using modern techniques. And I like to say, uh, the more we recognize that, uh, the more we modernize that. Uh, so with that, I'm going to start with you, Margie. Why don't you tell us a little bit about 2018 and give us a specific area that you're most proud of in regards to all these various activities that have been underway, you being the architect of a lot of these things. Well, I really am so pleased that we have the President's Management Agenda in place. Uh, it probably is the um, the bedrock for everything that we're trying to accomplish. There are three primary elements to it, IT modernization, using data as a strategic asset, and then the workforce of the 21st century. All three of those elements are supported by um, CAP goals, cross-agency priority goals, which means that we're taking it from vision to action. 
And what I mean by that is you've really seen some movement of the needle in a number of these areas. Uh, let's take IT modernization to begin with. IT modernization um, is centered on helping agencies adopt the most current technologies in support of their mission space. And there are several elements that we put in place in order to enable that. And the first, of course, out of the box was the establishment of the, um, the TMF and uh, the IT modernization fund and the ability for agencies to establish their own working capital funds. And that occurred in December. Uh, with the passage of the NDAA. Mm -hmm. And then um, the IT modernization report that we uh, delivered to the President laid out 52 tasks that were associated with either changing policy or giving direction to adopt shared services and commercial capabilities or providing acquisition assistance and technology uh, talent to the equation to actually get this done. Uh, because this is not new. This is something that we know we have to do. And we just need to make sure that we are all moving in the same direction and that we're accelerating as much as possible. So when I think back over FY18, there are so many small elements of, of success that have contributed to that. The legislation itself, uh, the establishment of the fund, and then working through the changing of the policies that we need to change in order to effectively adopt these technologies that I'm talking about. And that includes uh, changing our trusted internet connection policy so that we can effectively adopt the cloud and work in hybrid environments, which most agencies live in today. Uh, that includes identity management, making sure that we are, are uh, using these technologies in a secure fashion, and identity is a huge part of that. Identifying your high-value assets uh, so that if you're prioritizing and you never have enough money or enough time or talent to do everything that you need to do, uh, if you are prioritizing, you ought to be centered on what are your high-value assets? Where is the data most important to your mission? And the systems that support that in terms of business process need to be the first ones that you tackle in terms of modernization. Yeah, you really have to focus on, uh, you know, the risk element, right? Exactly. Right. You can't do it all. There's a cybersecurity element to this, and that is one of the key criteria uh, that we use to determine what our high-value assets may be, mm -hmm. along with uh, are these systems really meeting the mail in terms of delivery for citizen services and for the kinds of protection that we provide for the American public. So when you look at all of those together, uh, it really comes to fruition within the President's management agenda. Um, the other part of the equation is making sure that, uh, that we treat data as a strategic asset um, because there's a push to be open and to share data uh, so that uh, commercial entities can innovate on top of it and also so that we can share information that uh, allows our processes to flow more, more freely. Mm -hmm. and, um, but uh, there's also a security and privacy element to this, <coughs> so we have to make sure that we're cognizant of that while we're doing it. So establishing the data strategy, which will be published at the beginning of next year, yeah. uh, but will be completed and brought to fruition at the end of this year, uh, is a very important um, uh, strategic platform because there's going to be a, a one-year action plan that's going to uh, help us strategize as to how we're going to actually do that. 
And another part of that is that we're incubating good projects that are right. going on out within the agencies and bringing those <coughs> forward, highlighting them, drawing lessons learned, and making sure that other um, agencies that want to pursue uh, yep. their own data uh, and, and using that as a strategic asset, that that gets, um, gets promulgated throughout the federal So government. a full constellation of activity. The groundwork has been laid out by Margie and OMB and crew. Steve, tell us about what's happening at DHS. What, give us an, uh, a single specific program over there that you guys have used to sort of target all these various activities and machinery that's in place to, uh, to roll out. I got to be honest. If you, thank you for the question. But the, uh, what we're looking at, I don't know if I can pinpoint to one particular success. We have so many. What I, I think is the uh, most exciting for FY18 and calendar 18 is really looking at how we're looking at the business a little bit differently. If you think about it, um, uh, consolidation of network services is often uh, publicized. We're also looking at the conclusion of our data center contracts, our brick and mortar facilities that we have. No longer talking about data centers. We're talking about compute and storage locations. Also allowing uh, leadership, and that's across the CXO community and across the federated CIO community at DHS, to kind of look at the models a little bit differently. Understanding how uh, cloud is allowing us to kind of look at how we deliver services. And when we start talking about changing in formats of compute and storage, looking at transporting differently from the network contract to the EIS contract, it allows us also to start looking at uh, how we monitor these services, whether they're on-premise or out in the cloud. What we're finding also, um, we have data centers. Data center consolidation also allows us, uh, excuse me, um, security operation centers allow us to be able to consolidate. Presently, we have 16 security operation centers, nine of them in the NCR. Uh, allows us to start uh, scheduling. How do we find efficiencies within that portfolio so we have fewer? How do we start looking at the tools so we're monitoring more consistently? And then also, how do we start looking at the labor force? In addition, we're able to work with the um, department's um, chief human capital officer and establish what we call CTMS, Cyber Talent Management Services. It allows us to start consolidating how we recruit, how we retain, how we compensate cyber professionals. So we become an employer of choice as we start looking at changing our models. Yeah, and really modernize in a modern way, right? And, and do that uh, efficiently and effectively. Uh, so again, you can deliver on that promise to the citizen to deliver a, you know, sort of a contemporary experience uh, when they're using those goods and services. Joe, how about over at DOJ? I know you guys have had a very active 2018. Uh, tell us about uh, one of your programs over there that uh, you know you want to highlight here. Sure. Well, thanks, Luke. Uh, very glad to be here. Uh, I certainly agree with everything that Margie and Steve uh, said you know, about the, 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 at the macro level. But let me try to highlight one uh, fairly small program that uh, I think uh, kind of epitomizes all the stuff that we were trying to do from a law enforcement pr perspective. Uh, about two years ago, uh, my office, in coordination with the Office of Tribal Justice, initiated a program called Tribal Access uh, Program. Uh, it's now expanded to nearly 50 uh, fairly recognized tribes and more than 200 tribal agencies that enable them to effectively um, uh, serve their communities, protect their, their uh, uh, populations, and, and act through access to national criminal uh, databases. Um, and this is for criminal purposes as well as civil purposes. Uh, these uh, national criminal databases uh, include uh, National Crime Information Center, Next Generation Identification, which is all the biometrics, uh, national Data Exchange, uh, National Instant Criminal uh, Background Check, uh, Law Enforcement Enterprise Portal, 
as well as other systems like International Justice and Public Safety Network. This is huge that these, these uh, law enforcement and, and tribal entities now have access to this uh, database. So what we essentially built was a state-of-the-art biometrics, uh, biographic uh, kiosk workstations, and it provides fingerprint, palm prints, um, mugshots, uh, access to submit records uh, to the federal crime, crime databases. And the kiosk enables um, the uh, tribes to protect all of their citizens all, you know, against uh, domestic violence, uh, sex offenders, keep guns out of the uh, hands of criminals, um, and locate missing persons. Uh, to date, uh, they've, tribes have already registered uh, 600 sex offenders, um, entered over 700 uh, uh, orders for protection, made 250 entries of data uh, to prohibit uh, purchases of guns, uh, firearms, and performed uh, almost 5,000 background checks uh, of individuals seeking employment, maybe in contact with uh, uh, children uh, or uh, access to tribal housing placement. I mean, what this demonstrates, uh, a fairly small program, but it's had huge impact, um, and uh, it demonstrates the department's uh, commitment to improving public safety uh, in Indian country, and by promoting um, this coordination uh, between tribal, state, federal uh, law enforcement uh, agencies. And the, and the use of a lot of, uh, you know, advanced technology and, and uh, you know, the cloud, et cetera. And I know there's a lot of those tribal uh, areas uh, are very remote. And so being able to expand the use, uh, use of cloud, et cetera, I'm sure has really helped, you know, give those citizens access to uh, to a very important service. So Absolutely. fantastic story. Dave, how about Odessa? You guys have had a tremendous 2018. You want to highlight a program that you're, uh, I'd like to uh, tell the community about? Good afternoon, Luke. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to come out slightly differently, uh, like I, I tend to do. Uh, we love you the tie, know, by the way. Too. Well, thank you. It, yeah. it is Christmas, so uh, uh, got to got to wear the right apparel. Um, you know, in my CEO hat, I, I get the opportunity to see where the agency is going from a technology perspective to help shape the future, etc. And there's always lots of attention on the technology and and how we do things differently, bring in innovation, try to reduce costs, etc. Um, but I, I think the thing I'm probably most proud about right now is I'll call it a culture shift in the agency, and and it's more. It's not so much on the IT side of the house technology-wise as much as it is an operational shift in the sense of one of the efforts we've had underway for about the last two years that have really we've seen lots of in, uh, improvement and, and benefit from is what I call elimination of single points of failure across the enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, we started a concerted effort to do an in-depth analysis, not just of the circuits and the transport across the enterprise within the Department of Defense, but also looking at the operational single points of failure to identify those points of failure and take action, whether it is by implementing technology, bringing in redundancy, doing whatever is necessary to look at the risk equation tied to that single point of failure and making a conscious decision to either enhance it provide redundancy, do what was necessary to solve that operational problem. So at the end of the day, when you have a bad day, and everyone in this room has bad days, you know you've got the right things in the right place to continue to operate and provide capability to the mission partner. And, it's, and as, I, as I said before, it's not just about circuits, it's about the operationalization of capability. 
So do you have the right NetOp centers in place? Do you have the right cyber operations centers in place? Do you have the capability from a holistic perspective and from an enterprise perspective? Do you have the right things in the right places so when you have that bad day, things fail over seamlessly without having to brute force the change? And what, what we found is one of the key ingredients to this effort uh, was as people put capability in place, the program managers or whoever's providing that functionality, they make decisions at a point in time based on budget, based on technology, based on time, and they don't always go to the nth degree in terms of providing full capability, and so they'll make a decision, I'll come back and put it in later. Well, a lot of times they forget about the later. And so leadership isn't aware that there's this single point of failure laying out there in their network somewhere because they didn't know that PM made that decision two years ago to not put in two circuits, only put in one circuit, or not put in a particular cap enough cards in one location. And so this analysis and this set of activities has given us now the ability to go in and do that in-depth analysis, put in the additional capability, whether it is technology or operational capability to resolve those yeah, I think those we solutions. Learning the hard way that uh, you know if you can't get access to these modern capabilities, then it's of no use to anyone. Uh, Dave, you've had a, uh, a huge year at uh, at GSA in 2018. Why don't you give us some highlights? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Luke. I really appreciate it. Um, so it's hard to narrow down to one, but I'll focus on our integrated award environment um, for this year. So one of GSA's key strategic goals is to simplify acquisition for our federal partners. And it's a, it's a big, big, hairy problem in the federal space. And a real important uh, one. Indeed, indeed. Um, but we've had some success. Uh, so we've been doing Agile at GSA since 2012. We've been doing it for a very long time. And we learned that it's the superior way to deliver um, continuous uh, modernization and continuous capability in the IT space on behalf of our businesses. Um, but one of the places where we made a lot of headway this year was in IAE, where we shifted to agile delivery for a big, modern, a big modernized uh, platform. And uh, we found that indeed you can deliver using agile for large enterprise systems and capabilities. Um, so what we did is uh, we had our teams uh, shift to Agile um, it, it, with very close alignment with our customers, and our customers are all the federal agencies of government, uh, embedded uh, business from our customers, embedded security from our cybersecurity shop, embedded um, technologists in the classic DevSecOps model. And we found that when we deliver this way that the requirements that our customers have and the way that we deliver became very narrow. There's not much of a gap in there anymore. And as those business requirements changed and shifted over time, uh, we were able to stay in uh, lockstep with those uh, chains and changes and shifts. And because of these outcomes we saw on a very large enterprise system, when you look at the portfolio of acquisition systems across, uh, across our entire domain in the federal acquisition space, we found that we could port those capabilities to, uh, to the entire portfolio. It was really successful. And a great classic example of modernizing in a modern way. And uh, boy, I'm sure you're going to be doing rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat as you've learned to dismantle these big, hairy projects and, and uh, get them a little bit more succinct. Well, we're going to um, hear from our industry partners, but we're going to take a quick break first. 
You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The U.S. federal government is constantly working on ways to track, manage, and lower IT costs in the cloud. Visibility to application costs across both traditional data centers and public cloud infrastructures is key. Learn how BMC's TrueSight Cloud Cost Control can compare the costs of on-premises and multiple cloud platform providers and help determine which best fits your needs and budget at bmc.com public sector. That's bmc.com public sector. Defending agency information assets in today's threat environment is a daunting task. How to proceed? Age-old advice applies. Focus on the fundamentals. And keeping an eye on cybersecurity fundamentals is mission one for Fortinet Federal. Frequently recognized for security effectiveness by independent authorities, Fortinet provides agencies with seamless, high-speed, integrated, and intelligently automated security solutions. Trust Fortinet Federal, together with IMIX Group, to advance the science of cybersecurity in your agency. Learn more at fortinetfederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We were talking about special profiles and excellence and talking about very specific programs. We've heard from our federal leaders. Let's hear from our industry partners. Craig, tell us at FireEye. Tell us about 2018. What did it look like for you guys? Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here. Um, you know, I, I was going to talk about a few different things, and I saw my audience. I said, maybe I should pander to them, right? I think, uh, <laughs> you know, people know FireEye. We're synonymous with cybersecurity, and, and we pride ourselves on knowing more about the adversary than anyone else. And, and I could talk about some of the great stuff we're doing at GSA and saving you hundreds of thousands of dollars with um, removing IR costs, right, by, by actually blocking uh, emails that we see at the attacker but then I would be remiss because we're protecting the entire uh, Department of Defense's email through the DISA Z&D program. Um, but the thing that I think I'm most proud about is um, a small contract uh, out of uh, the Department of Homeland Security, back to what Margie said around shared services. So um, through uh, Cybersecurity and Communications Office, uh, Jeanette Manfreshop, we have a contract that provides threat intelligence to the entire .gov community. Um, and and yeah, that's great, right? So you, you wake up every morning, you can see you know, what's happening, where the vulnerabilities are to patch, and all these types of, of, of things. But when we were working with uh, the NKIC last year uh, on this contract, we, the question I said was, well, how do you measure success? Like, what, what, how are we going to actually make a difference? And I said, we have to be more effective. It's one thing to be able to actually provide a capability, but we need to be able to field it because if the the mission of uh, CSNC is cyber monitoring and incident response, it's protecting the information information systems of the .gov domain, and then assisting uh, incident response monitoring and technical assistance, coordinating information sharing with the public and private community. Well, that's a large mission, and the challenge that in my opinion DHS has is I can go give GSA a capability, but then it's on you. Right? It's up to you and your people to go field this capability and really exploit it. So um, in 2018, what, what we did, we said, okay, this is, needs to be on FireEye. It needs to be on us. So what we did is we applied people to the problem where we said, okay, we have to have a specific goal of 100 meetings within each of these different agencies to really understand and baseline their capabilities. What we found in our top 30 customers, right, we got 190-ish folks that have this capability. We said, let's boil this down to the top 30. 
22 use cases that can be uh, utilized from this capability at no additional cost. What we found was on average in those top 30, and some of the folks are here because they are a very mature shop, less than 50% of, of those use cases were actually being utilized on a day-to-day -day basis. Everything from taking a risk-based approach to patching to how am I understanding who could be targeting, targeting me, where are my HVAs, and how do I actually you know, uh, approach things from a cyber risk perspective. So uh, after understanding that baseline, what we did is we went back out and we worked with some of the senior folks uh, in these organizations and sat down and said, look, what can we do for you to be able to increase your cybersecurity maturity? Because this is a capability that the government has at its, its fingertips and it needs to be utilized. So in the back half of this year, um, we've actually increased the number of use cases that folks have, have, to, uh, have actually fielded by 250%. So now when I look at you know, my top 30 folks, there's 22 use cases, that's 600 individual use cases plus that people could be leveraging. Now we're in the 300 arena. So you know, what we're really trying to do is starting to quantify value. So that's kind of what, where we're going for next year. So I can sit down and ask Joe Kay and say, Joe, you know, how are you utilizing this you know, from your overall you know, cybersecurity you know, strategy? Where is, this, where is this from your risk management framework? Are you exploiting it? What do you need from us? So uh, super happy about that. And like I said, we're, we're really focused on um, outcomes and proof points so that we can quantify you know, value to our customers. Yeah, as these environments get more complex, security operational intelligence is really important. We need to get to the left of bang and stay there, right? And uh, really appreciate everything that FireEye is doing. Uh, Bob, how about at ServiceNow, we're, we're trying to modernize these environments, right? We're to the greatest extent possible. We wanna go low code, no code. Right, we can't do organic builds uh, on everything, uh, uh, and, and hopefully won't have to do that uh, uh, to any great extent in the future. Tell us about what uh, what you're seeing in uh, 2018. What did you see out there? Uh, give us an example of a highlight of uh, you know a marquee program. Well, Luke, thanks for having us this afternoon. It's really great to be part of this panel because you know when you and I were uh, CIOs, we were <clears throat> really gratified to be able to uh, help drive change in a single agencies, but now to look back over 2018 and see the, the acceleration of change across government that each of these leaders in our panel has been driving and other CIOs across the government, it's really, really gratifying. You know, the policies that Margie's office has put into place really has given the tools to the CIOs to be able to achieve transformation and change that we've been talking about for many years, but there's always been challenges to achieving that change. I agree with you more. Exactly. So, you know, as we look back, this <coughs> ability to shift from an application focus and delivering a single capability to adopting a platform that allows enterprise service delivery is really key. You know, each of these uh, CIOs that we have at the table manage extremely large, complex organizations with multiple subordinate organizations and even CIOs who report up to them, uh, thanks to the policies that have been put into place, finally. Uh, but, but that ability to look across those uh, agencies and deliver enterprise services comes with a, a whole uh, bevy of challenges that have to be addressed. 
particularly uh, one that is being addressed in, in the president's management agenda, one of my favorites, which is data as a strategic asset, right? So being able to apply emerging and modern technologies uh, into the agency really requires normalization and, and, and data uh, aggregation so that you can run AI scripts, machine learning scripts. We get better ways to allow technology to help human decision making, whether it be in IT operations, in operational technology, decision making, and cybersecurity uh, visibility and, and response times. So, so that that speed of adoption of change, I think, is what has been most gratifying. And let me give you a specific example who's not represented here today because we're hearing from each of these great uh, opportunities that our CIOs are taking to push their agencies forward. But Department of State is another uh, great success story in 2018. Of course, they have global reach. You know, every consulate and embassy around the world, all the U.S. citizens are serviced by uh, the IT department within the Department of State, the operations folks there, and they've really adopted this, this common platform approach with a common UI across a bevy of enterprise services that any employee around the globe can now access through a very commercial-like, easy-to-use portal and take care of business uh, within that department. It's an exciting example of how technology is assisting our employees and the citizens who are uh, taking advantage of services provided by agencies to have this rich consumer-like experience. But internally, I've got to—I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about people, right? So at ServiceNow, we've we've really uh, pushed forward this year in 2018 to adopt uh, training veterans, returning veterans on technology, and being able to to assist them to re-enter the workforce in an area where there's great need across the government, and that's for ServiceNow trained individuals to help deploy these capabilities across the agency. So we're excited about that program. We're we're uh, in our infancy, but we're looking forward to a great uh, acceleration of that as we move forward. That's a fantastic program. I know there's some other partners that have that as well. The uh, Federal Service has been uh, very much a proponent of that uh, as well, so I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and uh, modernizing in a modern way, delivering to the citizen uh, even uh, across the globe. Uh, how about at Fortinet, Felipe? Uh, tell us about uh, what's going on in 2018 there. I know it's been a very active uh, uh, year for you all, and uh, and you guys are right smack in the middle of this modernization play. Good afternoon, Luke, and thank you for having me. So we're proud of a lot of things at Fortinet, and I'll go over a few, and I'll, I'll sum it up with my most favorite uh, mission that we completed uh, this year. Uh, first of all, completion of numerous federal certifications such as FIPS and Common Criteria for a multitude of products, uh, which is quite an investment for a company like ours. So over a handful of our products are available for federal government agencies to purchase and implement in their networks today, as well as inclusion on several approved products lists, so the DOD APL, the NSA's CSFC, and now the CDM APL. We also continue to support and enhance our capabilities for our special purpose application customers, those using COTS products in non-traditional IT environments and conducting sensitive operations, as well as enhancing our enterprise and TIC security fabric solutions for our customers who are deploying networks and securing those networks uh, for thousands and tens of thousands of customers. And what I'm most proud of is furthering our cloud, both private, public, and hybrid uh, investments in products, as well as software-defined everything that works. 
As we know, the government is moving to this type of architecture to save on costs, increase efficiency uh, from their acquisitions and, and purchases. So it's very important for as a security vendor to continue to do R&D, do R&D on products uh, that will support this type of environment. Uh, so we work with our integrator partners to enable these government agencies and to design and deploy these secure, resilient, high-performing networks. And we certainly appreciate uh, all the hard work and the investment and the uh, certifications. Super important to do that uh, if you're going to play in this market. And very important that we get access to these goods and services so that we can continue to modernize in this modern way. Kevin, how about over at BMC? You're right smack in the middle of this transformation journey with all of us. Uh, tell us about 2018 and what does it look like for you guys? Sure, Luke. Uh, in fact, I could probably talk about an application that everybody here, you know, everybody here tends to use some software. But if I had to pick out one particular agency that I think has really done some interesting things, I would say it's Department of Agriculture and Ag Cloud. We're getting a lot of emphasis, you know, this year on moving to the cloud. But to work with an organization that really has provided shared services to the government, put a big initiative and says, I want to be able to broker services not only on-premise, but I want to be able to take it to Amazon, Azure, and Google, and be able to help organizations kind of discover where their applications are, their application mapping and dependency, realize what I've got to do, what applications I can physically move to the cloud, which should I stay on-premise, and then be able to do lifecycle costing and understand through all of the government uh, contracts that are in place with the cost models for those br for those services to be able to tell you and model what application should I be, what's my life cycle cost of moving this, what application should I move or not. And then the interesting piece is how do I make sure that my compliance in the cloud is the same as I have in my data center today? And how do I give visibility? And then how do I do monitoring? And more importantly, how do I give my clients reporting capabilities so they know what they are and what they're doing? So I will tell you, the Ag Cloud, I'll have to give a great shout out uh, to Scott and Victoria, have done a tremendous job rolling out. They went live in the uh, fall, and the farmers.gov was the first application that they rolled out. So a great success for somebody to be able to, to really innovate in the government and show you how we can move from premise to the cloud and do it with agility and speed. Great tool suite for when you're trying to modernize in this modern way. Uh, it's super important that you have these capabilities so that you can leverage these new tools in the most efficient way possible. Well, we're going to wrap it back around over to you, Margie. And, uh, you know, we've got Fatara. You talked about the executive orders, the president's management agenda. We've got, you know, the, the TMF, access to uh, uh, new hiring authorities, et cetera. You know, we've got a lot of weapons in our hands on these weapons. You know, how, how does a how does a CIO use all those capabilities effectively uh, when they're you know sitting in that chair trying to you know navigate through all these waters and 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 go on this modernization journey? Well, I would say the first thing that you should do is, uh, and I think it follows on to something that Kevin just mentioned, is is take the take a look at your portfolio. Uh, and understand from a portfolio view uh, what you want to modernize holistically in a, uh, a mission process. And that mission process could be within your agency. It could also be within your agency and then external to your agency with other agency partners mm -hmm. as you're moving through. Like a shared service. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we, like at DHS, uh, obviously the law enforcement portfolio was something that we worked on uh, very strategically to try to partner with DOJ and state and others that were our natural mission partners. So when I think of how a CIO uses 
all of these tools and capabilities and policies that we're changing uh, to put um, you know, success on the map. Uh, it really is pulling together the flexible funding strategies, the uh, acquisition approaches, and the talent that you're bringing to the equation to make these things happen. But you can't do that unless you've rationalized your own portfolio and you know where to start. Uh, and so I would encourage um, everyone in an agency to have a modernization roadmap and to just start marching down the most critical path uh, to, uh, to get to uh, the other side of the equation, you know, to where you're in a modernized environment. And the most important thing to bring to the table, of course, in that equation is the talent. You've heard many of the, of the uh, members here of the panel today speak about it. Uh, we have invested so much in the CIO Council and the Workforce Committee um, and trying to bring uh, the kind of talent uh, that we need to the table uh, is encouraging within the federal government um, that uh, we are, are uh, reskilling and retraining uh, individuals to move into areas like cyber and like uh, um, DevOps where we don't have enough uh, people coming to the table, that where the pipeline needs to be enhanced. Um, and then uh, we just launched the Reskilling Academy uh, last week. Uh, where we're actually um, uh, partnering with SANS to uh, the SANS Institute uh, to um, ask folks to, uh, to come to the table and learn about the cyber world and become a part of it. Uh, so that's creating that pipeline. And then the coalitions that we built within the federal government. Uh, that's, I, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not working with, with any of these people at the table. But particularly uh, in cyber, with with DHS, NIST, uh, NSC, others, um, and then in um, you know in the acquisition space, spend a lot of time with GSA, don't we, Dave? <laughs> uh, so everything that we're trying to do in terms of our those shared services that we're talking about, those acquisitions are being um, you know thought through and and effectively executed. Uh, with GSA. You got to rationalize, you got to pick your spots. Uh, Steve, uh, Margie and crew have given you a lot of weapons to mm -hmm. work with. Uh, how do you how do you execute on that? Which one of those, how do you decide which one of those you're going to crank on uh, more than the other to, to, you know, fulfill that uh, promise to the citizen? Yeah, all right. If you kind of look at um, our CIO community in DHS, it's, a, it's still a people business. Sure. I think the tools that are coming out of OMB, out of the White House, they're allowing us to change the conversation. The conversation is, you know, internal. Why modernization is going to, you know, change the way we deliver services? Um, you know, it's going to require retooling of the workforce. Um, we're no longer going to need as many people that are, you know, watching the dials, watching the lights on the equipment. We're going to be making sure that we're managing and monitoring workloads out in the cloud. In addition, when we're talking and communicating in the workforce, you have to talk to the CFO community. Uh, you, you do not modernize, you do not enhance without uh, there being some sort of cost equation uh, associated with those moves. In addition, we're acquiring services different. There has to be a fundamental discussion with the CAE community, talk with the contracting officers, talk to the COTARs, understand how you're going to redefine your requirements so it's more of a consumption-based model. And then at the end of the day, um, you have to talk to the Chico. The Chico, while we're talking about retooling within the workforce, you have to talk about new skill sets that are going to be necessary. How I get to cloud architects, how do I get to new security architecture um, uh, skill sets that may not be readily available. So what it does is these tools force us to get out, get a new pair of shoes on, and we're running between offices to make sure everybody's on the same sheet of music as we modernize at DHS. Really partnering with that CXO community mm -hmm. um, in, in a uh, different kind of way and becoming a 
a smart consumer of these goods and services. Uh, well, we're going to take a short break and then we'll uh, come back and I'll pick it up from there. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. FireEye is changing the way government agencies defend against a new breed of cyber criminals. As today's threat landscape grows ever more complex, defending federal government agencies becomes increasingly challenging. FireEye combines world-class technology with an unrivaled global intelligence network and an expert team of cybersecurity consultants. FireEye helps government agencies find and stop advanced attacks that other security technologists can't even see, let alone stop. To learn more, visit FireEye.com. That's F-I-R-E-E-Y-E.com. Service now, changing the way people work and allowing agencies to keep pace with technology. From automated workflows to practical AI, our customers get the benefit of new technology on a platform ready for use. Service now takes the risk out of commercial cloud adoption. With FedRAMP certified cloud, agencies experience unprecedented transparency and control over their data while reducing cost and complexity. Service now, helping agencies reach their goals now and exceed them in the future. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We have a special program here. We're talking about profiles and excellence. We were just talking about the, the various tools and techniques and weapons available to the CIOs and how do you utilize those effectively. And Steve is actually pointing out an interesting dynamic about you know partnering with the Chico, right? Partnering with the CFO. You can't create a working capital fund unless they're completely on board, right? You can't hire using these special hiring authorities that Margie's been so kind to give all the CIAs, uh, CIOs, unless you can uh, unless you can partner correctly with the Chico on that. So, Joe, tell us how uh, how, you, how are you going about that, navigating through those capabilities? Sure. Well, certainly the tools that have been enacted and put in place in the last year or two. Uh, certainly should be looked at more than uh, just a compliance framework. They're really sh tools to spur innovation uh, and optimization. Uh, and as Steve pointed out, uh, it is a collaborative effort with your CXO community. It absolutely must, but you also must uh, engage on a regular basis with all your stakeholders, your business leaders. Uh, it's, a, it's a team uh, sport uh, in driving innovation and optimization. But I also think these tools give you an unprecedented uh, view of your portfolio. Uh, you can look into anything. You can you can collect like inf information to make the right decisions. Uh, so what we're trying to do within uh, Department of Justice is really trying to make sure we deliver uh, high quality uh, services uh, aligned to customer needs, reduce costs through shared services, uh, department-wide services, um, improving our cybersecurity capabilities overall. Um, this, this modernization is uh, really focused on uh, reducing maintenance costs and, and moving more from the, move from the O&M to the DM&E and uh, developing new capabilities. Mobility is huge, so we want to fully embrace mobility. Um, and uh, commercial cloud uh, offerings, that's, that's where it's at. I mean, everything's uh, through the cloud and uh, everybody wants to access these capabilities through uh, mobile platforms. Managed services, uh, agile and user-centric development. Uh, and just overall reducing the, the technical complexity. And I think just to kind of summarize um, what we're trying to do is trying to keep pace with American in, uh, innovation. Uh, you, you certainly want to make sure that um, 
if there's if new capabilities are out there that uh, we're not far behind in being able to take advantage of those capabilities. Yeah, and I, like I said in the intro, you know, you go to these conferences, and uh, again, it's not just the feds, you know, a couple of them on the edge participating, and, uh, you know, they're actually presenting now, right, mm -hmm. and, and talking about some of the things that they're doing. When you get access to the cloud, obviously, you're getting all these tools and techniques readily available every time you, you show up. Dave, uh, at DISA, you guys are in a real unique situation. You're providing goods and services to all the different services. Uh, how does one take advantage of these various capabilities that are uh, at your disposal as a CIO to you know, fulfill that promise? Thanks, Luke. Uh, I agree with everything that's been said so far. Uh, this really is a team sport, and, and you've got to leverage all the assets that you've got within an organization, where it's money, people, processes, time, et cetera. Uh, but it's also leveraging good ideas. And in and, and leveraging good ideas, it's it's all about putting out the, the, the net, if you will, to say, how can we do things differently? How can we do them in a smarter, faster, more efficient way? How can we reduce manpower? How can we bring the technologies in that's gonna give us the flexibility to do the things, both from an operational and from a cyber perspective, that meets the demanding mission partners requirements and do that in a 24 7 365 scenario and and the reality is we can't do this alone whether we talk about uh, federal employees and and the folks within the agency but most importantly it's our commercial partners who are really how we innovate we don't innovate inside the government we innovate because of what the commercial industry brings to bear and the closer that relationship is between the government and industry in terms of understanding their products and industry understanding our operational environment, that's when you really get the synergy of capability and speed to bring capability to bear. Whether we talk about moving to the cloud or bringing in new cyber features within the network to counter a threat, uh, it, it really is that whole of government, whole of industry, partnering approach, leveraging the tools that have been given to us from, from hiring and, and working capital activities, et cetera. Uh, that's what I think gives us the flexibility and the power to be able to react quickly and provide what's needed. Um, very important to try to synthesize these various tools and techniques so that we can be effective and efficient as we're trying to roll out this capability. Dave, over at GSA, you know, uh, you, just like all these other CIOs, have these tools and techniques and weapons available to you. You brought in some leadership over there, and, uh, you know, there's there's always this dynamic that we, we all face as this goal congruence, right? And, you know, it, it's uh, uh, your goal to, to get on this modernization journey has to be the same goal as the Chico, has to be the same goal as the CFO, et cetera, to come together and unite uh, to fulfill that promise. Tell us a little bit about how you're using some of these tools and techniques and authorities that are available to you now to uh, to do all the things that you've been successful doing in 2018. Thanks, Luke. Um, it's a great question. When I stepped into federal service about six years ago, I thought that a good CIO didn't need these type of tools, these authorities. I thought just by being compelling. Oh, saying we need them. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So I, you know, I thought. You know, just doing a good job and doing compelling work over an extended period of time would create the leverage necessary. And, and boy, was I wrong. 
And it's not because being a good CIO doesn't give you those proper levers to, to make change in an organization. It's because of the unique space of the federal government with rapid change associated with administration change or um, top-level business executives rolling through on a successive basis. What these tools uh, have allowed us to do is shorten the amount of time where we have to go and convince business owners that we are um, the right person for the job, that we should be at the table when the business presents a problem at the ideation phase, um, that we do have full authority on the budget side, on the execution side, um, that we have the right authority to apply technology as a business lever to help transform our, our, our government. You know, it's made it so that my conversations with my business are focused on how do we help them with their tough business needs instead of trying to um, prove myself over and over and over again when this change comes. And that helps in every part. It helps with transparency. It helps us to drive better business value out of the IT investments that we make. Uh, it helps with governance so that when I have tough governance conversations with my, my business partners, uh, I come to the dis discussion table with a fair amount of authority. And it's the authority driven by actual law. Um, and it's changed the nature and relationship of the conversations I have with, uh, with my business partners. Um, now they say I have a business problem and I need IT in helping me to help solve those business problems. Uh, I'm seen as a business executive first. Technology happens to be my lever, happens to be my collateral, um, but I'm seen as a business partner in solving the tough, complex business problems of government. And uh, you know, <coughs> you're, not, you're not starting with the uh, FATARA stick or the executive order stick or you know whatever it is. Uh, you're having a conversation about how do I enable this business and sort of that, that all those other entities, all those other weapons are just sort of in the background enable uh, that uh, capability to happen. Well, we have some extra time and uh, wanted to take a moment and just reflect back on just leadership, right? We talk about the leadership play and what does it take to be a leader and there's different types of leaders, right? You can take the hill at all costs and maybe there's a lot of collateral damage or uh, you can be a servient leader and, uh, and uh, you know, all boats uh, rise to the top kind of thing. Let's start with you, Margie, and just talk about, uh, you know, what, what makes, uh, what are the characteristics, the elements of being an effective leader in this kind of environment, right? Where you have some control, you don't have a lot of control, right? Uh, you know, everything's sort of a, uh, a three-ring sort of uh, uh, Monty, if you will. What does it take to lead in this kind of a environment effectively there's a statement that one of my mentors made to me at a very early age um, when I was frustrated at not being able to uh, move an initiative forward fast enough and he said you don't always have control but you always have influence mm -hmm. and what that means is um, exactly what we've been talking about at the table uh, it requires a coalition of people in different disciplines that can center around a common goal, and leadership requires that you express that common goal in a way that resonates for that community so that they can understand what it means in their space, what their contribution is to it, and ultimately, if you center those multiple communities around the impact, because there isn't anyone who isn't centered around the impact to the mission. That's what we're all here for whether we're feds or whether we're industry partners, 
uh, whether we're in agencies or whether we're in the governance entities like my office. Uh, we are centered around uh, setting a vision, a common vision, providing an impact, being able to say at the end of the day that we actually made a difference. And if you can do that uh, in a, a collaborative way and in, an, in a way that allows people to uh, voice concerns and have open conversations, understand each other's equities, uh, so that I'm not pushing you know, my part of the equation to the detriment of any of the others, but we're all moving as a team, uh, that to me is the effective way to lead in the federal government. So lead with mission first, the bottom line doesn't uh, rule the day, so to speak. Uh, Steve, you've worked in a lot of different types of missions, spent a lot of time over at the Secret Service and then uh, a tenure at TSA. Well, what's your sense about what does it take to lead effectively when the bottom line doesn't roll, right? And there's some soft spots out there, right? Things aren't always clear. Look, um, I think I can summarize it in one word. It's uh, curiosity. Um, curiosity about where the mission is evolving. What are the challenges to that mission? Um, if you kind of think about the role of CIO, we solve problems. We leverage technology to solve problems. Not even our own problems, but problems for our customers, for our business partners. Uh, curiosity allows me to understand what those problems are for my customers, what those priorities are. And then also, if you kind of look at the evolution and the roadmaps of technology, um, I better be curious about how these technologies are evolving and how they can play within my mission. So for me, it's curiosity. Curiosity of missing evolution, technology evolution, and uh, being able to solve problems for my customers and be able to articulate how technology can solve that. Outstanding. Joe, how about uh, over at DOJ? You've been, uh, once again, in a lot of different missions. What's a good leadership characteristic you like to put your finger on and describe that's worked for you. Thanks, Luke. Uh, certainly I agree with everything Margie and Steve were saying, but uh, simplistically, my, my view of leadership is uh, uh, getting people to follow you when uh, a positive outcome is not certain or guaranteed. Uh, if, it's, if, it, if it's a positive outcome, it's called management or just everybody wants to follow you because there's candy at the end of the road. Uh, but uh, it, Joe, it's, there's no candy in this. No, business. no, there isn't. Um, this is the NFL. So, so to, to to actually get people then to follow you uh, on on your initiatives, they've got to be focused on the mission, your vision, your objectives. Uh, have to have a very strong sense of supporting the mission, and that's what we're all here for. We don't exist for IT because of IT's pleasure or anything like that. It's supporting the mission. Um, and you've got to communicate that vision, those objectives. You've got to stay focused on the objectives. It's very hard for people to follow you when you're constantly changing objectives or you know, one day you're go this way, go that way the next day. Uh, and it's, it's all about this collaboration. You've got to work collaboratively. We talked about the CXO community with the um, mission partners, industry partners. You've got to have an open door, be willing to talk to folks and uh, and, and certainly you're, you're there as a support uh, element to the mission, but um, you need to do that uh, collaboratively uh, with a lot of people in these big departments. You really have to bring that community along, right? And you have to do it at a pace that everyone's sort of at the same pace, right? You can't have two or three of you, you know, three miles ahead while everyone else is trying to figure out uh, how to get from here to there. Dave, uh, you work in a very complex environment. You've seen a lot of leadership styles. Uh, over at DISA and throughout your career. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the characteristics of being an effective leader. Uh, everybody has their opinion of what's leadership. Uh, mine's fairly simple. Uh, listen more than you talk, empower your people, and don't be afraid to make decisions. 
uh, I, I see too many scenarios where people want to do all the talking, they don't want to listen. Uh, and, and I think in this environment, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to your industry partner. You've got to listen to your mission partner. You've got to listen to whoever you're engaging with to understand what the issue is as well as what the solution is. And in the roles we have, we're about matching solution to need. And that's the whole reason we're there. Uh, and so if you've got to be able to listen uh, is, is tenant number one. You can't do everything yourself, so you've got to empower your people. You've got to push the decisions down as low as possible. Help the subordinates feel like they are part of the solution. Let them work the issue. Let them make the decision and hold them accountable if, as, as they make those decisions. That's when they feel like they're, they're part of the solution. Uh, and then uh, lastly, as I said, don't be afraid to make a decision. A lot of times you'll, you'll never have all the information to make the perfect decision. Never will. Uh, go with the inf best information you got and, and make a decision and always have a plan on how you react or uh, take an alternate path if it doesn't go like you need it to go. Boss that once said, you know, I'm going to make 100 decisions a day and I know 50 of them are going to be right and the other 50 I'll fix. Um, Dave, um, how about at GSA? You've been uh, in the private sector and the public sector for uh, different parts of your career. Tell me about the leadership elements that uh, uh, make it effective in regards to the role you're sitting in now. So thanks, Luke. I, I agree with everything my colleague said, so I'll just add one more thing. Um, early in my career, I thought that technology was the catalyst for, um, for effective change in an organization. And then a little bit later, I thought, well, if I just overlay good process on, on people, that you'll get really good outcomes. Um, what I found is uh, that it's really a, all about people. Um, Hire the smartest people you can. Don't be threatened by really smart people. Get the smartest people in. Give them time and space necessary to do the really smart, great things. You know, I think that one of the one of the hallmarks of a good leader is somebody who curates the pipeline of talent into the organization that they're working in, and then also um, takes a look at the people that are already in the organization and creates um, an environment where they can thrive and excel. And if the environment doesn't exist, then go and make that environment exist. Um, you know, retrain people, reskill people, bring them up to modern skill um, capabilities, and let them know that they are the primary catalyst for change in your organization. That's what's very rewarding to them, and that's what creates a really great working environment. Give them the confidence to, to thrive. With that note, we're going to have to wrap it up here, and I'd like to thank today's guests for taking the time out of their busy schedule to join us for this program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for Without We Don't Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 13 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of the show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.